Thank you for joining us for the Midweek Bible Study with Dr. David Wilson. Now let's join Dr. Wilson for a more in-depth study of the Word of God. We're going to look at verses 12 through 15. As Paul is closing out this letter, he gives some various exhortations and encouragement. Verse 12, he says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. I don't know who wrote this. Obviously, somebody who went to church regularly. 10 things you probably will never hear in church. 10 things you'll probably never hear in church. Number 10, hey, it's my turn to sit on the front row. (laughs) Number nine, I was so enthralled, I never noticed your sermon went over time 25 minutes. Number eight, personally, I find witnessing much more enjoyable than golf. Number seven, I've decided to give our church the $500 a month I used to send to TV evangelists. Number six, I volunteer to be the permanent teacher for the middle school Sunday school class. And number five, here, you can have my seat. Number four, I love it when we sing songs I've never heard before. Number three, since we're all here, let's start worship service early. Number two, pastor, we'd like to send you to this Bible seminar in the Bahamas. (laughs) Or Hawaii, I'll take Hawaii either one. Number one, number one, nothing inspires me like a sermon on giving. (laughs) Something happened last Sunday to me that's probably been... 60 years. My mom and dad were in the 11 o'clock service and they were sitting on the front row. And my wife was gone and I sat by my mom on the front row. Now, the last time I sat with my mom on the front row of the church, I was probably five or six years old or a little younger probably. And she played the piano. And... There was a door, it was that typical Baptist church, small Baptist church where you got a piano on this side and organ on this side and then there's a door that goes out that side and the door goes out that side. I've been out that door many times. In fact, one reason one of my arms is longer than the other because she jerked me out and take me out because I was misbehaving in church. And I sat down beside her and I said, if I sit by you, are you going to take me out if I misbehave? And she said, I just might. (laughs) You know, relationships are the most important thing that we have in this life. You, You can't take any of the stuff you have with you, 
but relationships you can. And some of the best relationships that we should have are in church. That's why it's been so hard for us this last year to be separated from everybody, to be isolated, and we just hunger to be with one another. And in order for relationships to be what they are, we have to ask ourselves, what can I do to help maintain the relationships in our church or the church that you go to? Maybe you're a guest and you happen to come in tonight. How should I act at church? I think Paul gives a great um, principles and truths. First of all, he says you need to respect spiritual leaders. In verse 12, he says, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Now, he doesn't say what kind of spiritual leaders they are. He doesn't mention any particular one. He just said that there's several things about them in the church. First of all, they labor among you, which means they work hard. Second, they are over you, not that they're on a level above you toward God, but right now they have a responsibility to lead you, whatever that might be. They're over youth in that respect. And then thirdly, they admonish you or challenge you to spiritual growth. Now those are all kinds of people. It's an interesting combination. There are leaders who come from the congregation, who work among the congregation, who stand over the congregation, who admonish or, or encourage them to grow, and they're from the people of God. They're part of us. And Paul says two commands. He said, first of all, respect them and hold them in high regard. The word recognize literally means to know their worth. To don't take them for granted, to know their worth, to appreciate the value of the people who work among you and who leads you. That would include your Sunday school teacher, that would include deacons and greeters and prayer warriors and all the workers that we have, you should recognize that they recognize their value. We could not do what we do here without people who lead. And to esteem them, to recognize them, to esteem them in verse 13, I'm reading out of a new King James translation, it it means to hold them in the highest possible appreciation. When's the last time that you went to Sunday school class that you actually thanked the teacher for bringing the lesson? Seriously, they studied hard all week. I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing easy about studying. Don't ever, ever think studying is easy. You've forgotten what it's like to be in school, didn't you? Then you need to pray for them. To pray for them. Uh, the highest and best thing you can ever do for somebody that ministers to you and your family and, and all of the, the staff and all of the deacons and the teachers and all the workers, they need your prayer. It's so easy to criticize. Anybody can do that. You don't have to have a talent to criticize. But to encourage and pray for them and to value them. I, personally, personally, I think it's better to leave a church 
than to stay and attack the leadership. Now, we don't have that going on here. At least I don't know about it. But I, I know of some pastors right now who are under attack in their churches. It's, it's just sad. You, know, you wonder why God won't bless that church? I'll tell you why. Because if you cannot love the leadership you have in the church, how do you expect God to honor that? But we've, we have very little of that here. Every now and then we've got a sore head, but they don't stay very long. They're outnumbered. They give up and leave. And I don't ever want anybody to leave, but I'll tell you, if you're ever unhappy here, instead of criticizing everything, maybe God's saying, maybe you need to go someplace else. That doesn't sound, don't misunderstand me. Some of you may have just woke up and said, you mean if I disagree with you, you're telling me to leave? That's not what I said. But some people just can't be happy in a congregation, and it's better to go where you can serve the Lord. Now, in a church our size, you don't have a lot of that, but I'm telling you, I've been places, oh my word, I've been some places. Richard knows what I'm talking about. Um, especially in those churches where everybody's kin to one another. Oh, it's such a lovely thing. Respect, esteem, love, appreciate. Know the value of spiritual leaders. Don't take them for granted. That's what he said. The second thing is to reside peacefully with others. Look at verse 13. Be at peace among yourself. Among yourselves. You ever been in a church where there's a big fight? You ever been in a church where they didn't want to be together? Satan cannot stop the church of Jesus Christ. He didn't have the power to do it, but he'll do everything he can to divide it. True story, and I've told you this before. Back in the 1800s, there were two deacons in a small Baptist church in Mayfield County, Kentucky. The deacons hated each other. Well, there was the first problem. They shouldn't have been deacons if they hated each other, but they were deacons. And they always opposed one another. On one particular Sunday, one deacon put a small wooden peg up on the wall so that the pastor could hang his hat on it on Sunday morning. The other deacon came in, discovered the peg, and he was outraged because he had not been consulted. That led to a fight. Church took sides. And eventually they split. And to this day... The story goes that in Mayfield County, Kentucky, there is the anti-peg Baptist church. <laughs> now, isn't God glorified in that? <laughs> you know, I, I really have, I, I, I personally have not ever seen a big disruption or discussion over theology. I've never seen anybody argue over salvation and how you're saved. But man... The color of the carpet, the color of the paint, the whatever, you, you know, buying this or not buying that and whatever. He's saying, you need, you need to get along. You, there needs to be peace. If God's going to work, there's got to be some peace. 
Now, there are some mean people who, who just refuse to let you live peaceably with them. And that's why Paul wrote in Romans, if it's possible as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone, Romans 12, 18. Now, the command is to live at peace, but the loophole is as much as it depends on you. Can you think of somebody that right now there's a wall of animosity standing between you and them? Something happened in the past that disrupted your relationship. You're not living at peace with each other. Your job is, as far as it depends on you, is to try to restore peace. Sometimes it can be done. Sometimes a person won't have anything to do with you, but at least you've done what God asked you to do to try to restore the relationship. I've had some folks that would not let me restore the relationship with them over crazy stuff. One commentator said that you can tell a person's relationship with God by looking at their relationship with each other, with their fellow man. If a person is at variance with his fellow man, if he's a quarrelsome, competitive, argumentative, troublemaking creature, he may be a diligent church attender, he may even be a church office bearer, but he's not or she's not a person of God. Because you cannot be at odds with other believers all the time and be at peace with God. It doesn't happen that way because God, Jesus said, you'll, you'll, people will know you are my disciples, not by your fights with one another, but by your love for one another. Amen. Respect the leadership, reside peacefully with other people. The third thing in verse 14, now we exhort you brethren, warn those who are unruly to restore the idle and unruly. The word unruly, in the the NIV, it's the word idle, but the word refers to somebody who has no discipline and is headed in the wrong direction. Uh, The same Greek word was used for a Roman soldier who went AWOL, absent without leave. Actually, the better translation is straighten out the cantankerous. Y'all know what cantankerous is, don't you? It's a synonym for Baptist. (laughs) The Greek word is actually, listen to what this sounds like, attactus. Attactus. Sounds like attack us, doesn't it? It's a military expression, which means to break ranks, to get out of line. Demonstheses once used the word to describe the ancient Greeks who who refused to serve their country. refers to those who are undisciplined, irresponsible, who are idle because they're out of position. In the church, there are those who are attacktus. They are spiritual draft dodgers. They're idlers, gossips, busybodies. They're unruly, irresponsible, and undisciplined. And when you see one of them going in the wrong direction, not that you're better than them, but if you're not involved in the same activity, you ought to have the attitude is, what are you doing? Where are you going? Why are you doing this? If you were driving behind a friend or a loved one at night and and you saw their car beginning to drift off the road and you're suspecting that they're beginning to go to sleep, what would you do? 
Well, you would start flashing your lights. You would start honking your horn. You'd try your best to wake them up. Hey, you need to wake up. You're about to run off the road. Well, that's what he's saying here. When you see somebody walking off the path, he, Paul says to warn them. A better word is admonish them. It's a strong Greek word. It, it means to put into the mind. When you see a brother or sister who are unruly, who are cantankerous, who are headed the wrong direction, you are to put them in mind. You to talk some sense into them. That's our job. Not just ignore them. Well, they went off the deep end. Sometimes they won't listen to you. It implies a personal face-to-face confrontation. Don't you just love those? Oh, I live for those, don't you? I I get up every day thinking, I hope I get to have a face-to-face confrontation with somebody who's headed the wrong direction. No, you put it off, you dread it. It's painful, it's hard, it's scary. But in the barest form, it means to talk to somebody about their conduct. You have to do it. You need to do it. You may be the only person that can do it. They may not listen, but at least you tried because you love them. To restore, to bring them back, to keep them from going off. The fourth thing is to refresh the discouraged. It says to comfort, in verse 14, comfort the faint-hearted. Now, the word faint-hearted or timid does not mean shy. It means those who are afraid to go on and feel like quitting. It's true of pastors. According to the Francis Schaeffer Institute, Listen to this statistic. 75% of pastors who start out in the ministry will drop out in the first 10 years. Three-fourths of them. Only one in 10, 10% who start out will retire while they're still in the ministry. It's called burnout. And whatever career you're in, I'm sure burnout and the dropout rate are as high as well. Many are faint-hearted. It means to be the, it means literally to be small-souled. It's a group of people who are discouraged and they're despondent. They're overwhelmed by stress and the burdensome of problems. They are discouraged because the courage they need, they can't find it. Especially includes those who shrink before persecution and who fall under the great temptation, who face trials at home or at work or at school or who find the Christian life one continual struggle. And I want to tell you, if you haven't had it happen to you yet, the chances are it will one day. I just hope it doesn't last very long and hopefully somebody in the family will encourage them is what he says to do. Comfort them. The word encourage or comfort to put courage in them, encourage them, put it inside them. It it appeals to the emotions. It means to find these people 
and give them a little TLC. Everybody needs that every now and then, don't they? Help them find their place. It's addressed to everybody. People who feel out of it, who think they do not belong and cannot contribute anything, they've got to be helped to find a place. It's a wonderful picture of the body at work. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the body and he says, the ear cannot say because I am not the eye, I'm not part of the body. No, Paul says, even if it says that, it does not make it any less a part of the body. 1 Corinthians 12, 16. There are people who come to church and say, I I feel that way. I don't feel like I have anything to offer. I don't feel like I have anything to contribute. I don't have any gifts. That's not true. You do. Maybe your gift is encouragement. Maybe your gift is prayer. Maybe God's equipped all of us with gifts through the Holy Spirit. We're to help each other find our place. There are people all around you on Sunday who are struggling. I I need y'all to help me do something. And it's hard right now because of COVID. But on Sunday mornings when you come in here and you see somebody sitting by themselves, would you at least speak to them? Please? You would, but you would be amazed. I, I find people all the time. I'll see somebody by themselves. I'm kind of drawn to people who by themselves because I'm worried they're going to come in here and nobody's going to speak to them. Everybody's too worried about getting their seat in their chair. Well, look for somebody that's by themselves. I have found, I can't tell you how many times, I have found people, first-time visitors, sitting by themselves. And I'm always surprised. Some of them are young people. Don't be afraid of young people, old people. <laughs> they like to talk to old people. I'm one of them. I'll, I'll say, uh, are, you, are, you, are you here by yourself? Yes, sir. Well, tell me, is this your first time? Yes, sir. Well, I've come a couple of times before, and I said, I said do you know anybody here? No, sir. I said, we're going to have to change that. Last Sunday morning, I'll just give you an example. Last Sunday morning, between the 8 o'clock and the 9.30 service, a man came down to talk to me, had his teenage son with him. I thought he had been in the 8 o'clock service, but he had come to the 9.30 service and we hadn't started yet. And um, he'd been watching us on television. He's trying to get his wife to come. And he felt led to share a monetary gift with TV ministry. Got a pretty rough background. So later, I saw where he sat, and I grabbed one of our men, and I said, sitting over here, and I described him to him. I said, this man just walked in here first time, hadn't been to church in a long time. I need you to help me. And he was glad to do it. But that's what I'm talking about. We need to help people find their place. Help me do that. We're so big, it's so easy for you to think, well, they're just somebody I don't know. But I want to tell you, every week we've got new folks that have come in here wondering, is anybody going to care? Does anybody understand my struggles? And one of the best ways to encourage people who are fearful 
<clears throat> excuse me, is to just be kind to them, but we can also share with them maybe a promise we've learned or just, just meet them. And because they, just because they have a mask on, folks, doesn't mean you can't talk to them. But somehow we've just all clammed up with that mask on. And I understand the mask and please wear them when you're walking in the halls. And by the way, I just want you to know, don't leave me any more notes in the boxes. I am not the mask police. And I'm not gonna police it. I'm not. If you're uncomfortable, don't come until you're comfortable. I want the people who are walking in the halls to wear the mask. And when you come in here and sit down, take it off. But I cannot police it all, guys. It's not my job. Besides that, you think you think you can hurt a bunch of Baptists? You're out of your mind. I didn't mean to get off on that. And if you're going to leave a note, please put your name on it. Seriously, I'm not going to read it anymore if there's no name on it. I'm going to rip it up. I'm serious. Don't ever write me a note you don't put your name on or I don't read it. You're wasting your ink. <laughs> Isaiah 41.10 says, so do not fear. One of, this is a good verse to share with people. For I'm with you, don't be dismayed. For I'm your God, I will strengthen you, I'll help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Y'all have seen that movie, The Blind Side? It's been out a long time. Well, Michael Orr, who's a giant of a fella, got tremendous potential, but he was really afraid to give it his all. And one day in a practice, the coach was disgusted and he told um, Leanne Toy, who was played by Sandra Bullock, he said, well, at least he will scare the opposing team getting off the bus until they realize he's a big marshmallow. So Leanne walks over there and grabs him, pulls him aside and said, this team is your family. You got to protect them. And she pointed to the defense. She said, you got to protect them from those guys. She pulled him up close to him and said, you need to protect that quarterback's blind side. And when you look at him, you think of me, okay? You're going to protect your family, Michael? He said, yes, ma'am. And the rest is history. Because he was a first-round draft pick for the Baltimore Ravens in the NFL, protecting the blind side. We got to protect each other's blind side. Think about other people. Think about other people. They need you to speak to them. They need encouragement. Think about others when you come in here. Don't come in and say, well, I hope I get something out of this. Think about others. The fifth thing, reinforce the tired. Paul wrote in verse 14, uphold the weak. King James has a great translation that says support the weak. It literally means to hold somebody up. The picture is approaching somebody who can no longer stand and you're literally got your arms under their shoulders and you're holding them up. Paul calls them the weak. They're a step past being faint-hearted. They are... Complete, they have completely run out of gas. They're exhausted, they're burned out, they're wrung out, they're worn out, they're morally and spiritually and physically drained and they feel like they can't go on. Our job 
is to help them strengthen them, encourage them, to support them. Paul wrote in Romans 15, 1, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. But often we overlook these people because here's what happens. They drift in, they sit toward the back by themselves, and then they're the first ones to leave afterward. And we never see them. That's one of the reasons I love small groups, Sunday school, life groups, whatever we want to call them. If you're not in one, please get in one. And the reason is, they're the ones that know your name. They're the ones that are going to be there for you when you're going through some trials. They're the ones that are going to be there when you lose a loved one. They're the ones that are going to stand by you. They're not, they're not any perfect ones, don't misunderstand me. But just coming in and slipping out and coming in and slipping out. Did you know that the, st- the statistics show that for every hundred people, I think I'm right, Ken's, I don't know if Ken's in here. Doesn't matter the amount. Let's say a group of people you get in Sunday school, 10 years from now, 85% of them will still be in the church if they're in Sunday school. But if you're not, most of them won't be. Reinforce the tired. We don't want to overlook them. Paul says to help them. It means to hold yourself up against them, to, be, to, to cling to them. Don't let the weak go. Hold on to them tight. We don't want to lose anybody. Right now it's so difficult because everybody's so scattered and we don't know if people are still with us or not. I'm glad that's why we see some beginning to come back. And, and those who are watching online, and, and again, hear my, read my lips, no new taxes. I mean, excuse me, read my lips. <laughs> Only the older folks get that. Um, and ask an older first person if you don't know what I'm talking about. Read my lips. If you're not comfortable, don't come back yet. It's okay. Keep watching online. But as soon as you can, get yourself back here. As soon as you feel comfortable. Really, but don't come until you're comfortable. The sixth thing is to remember to be patient. And wouldn't you know he put the word all, everyone. We're so impatient. We are, we're the most impatient people in history. 250 years ago, if you missed a stagecoach, you'd say, no problem, there'll be another one tomorrow. Hundred years ago, if you missed a train, you say, no problem, there'll be another one in another hour, I mean, several hours or maybe tomorrow. Today, if you have to sit through more than one cycle of a traffic light, you start pounding the steering wheel. We are impatient people. Proverbs 15, 18, Paul, excuse me, not Paul, Solomon said, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. There's a lot of rage right now. But if there was ever a group that can exhibit love and patience, it ought to be God's people. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. That word comes from two Greek words, macro, 
which means large, thumos, which means boiling over or boiling point. We have a large boiling point, not a short fuse, long suffering, patient. We don't fly off the handle. We don't become angry quickly. I want you to think for a moment. I know some of that will be hard for you. Seriously, think, think back. Who was instrumental in bringing you to Christ? May have been parents, Sunday school teachers. In a manufacturing town in Scotland, there was a young lady who began teaching a Sunday school class for poverty-stricken boys. And the most unpromising youngster was a boy named Bob. And after the first two or three Sundays, he did not return. So the teacher went to look for him. And although the superintendent had given Bob some new clothes, they were already worn and dirty when the teacher found him. He was given another new suit and he came back the next Sunday to Sunday school But soon he quit again and the teacher went out once more to find him. And when she did, she discovered that the second set of clothes had gone the way of the first. And she said, I'm completely discouraged about Bob. She told the superintendent, I guess we're just going to give up on him. And the superintendent said, please don't do that. I believe there's still hope. Let's try him one more time. So they gave Bob a third suit of clothes. And this time he began to attend faithfully. And it wasn't long until he became a Christian and eventually he even taught in that same Sunday school. And who was that obstinate, ragged boy who for the time seemed to be so unreachable? It was Robert Morrison who later became the first Protestant missionary to China. He translated the Bible into Chinese and brought the word of God to millions. So if you get discouraged as a Sunday school teacher or a youth worker, give that disappointing person another chance. Keep being patient. God's not done yet. I don't know who wrote this, but as a fisherman, I can relate. It said the world would be a better place if all men showed as much patience as they do when they're waiting for a fish to bite. And that's true. Be patient. God's not finished with us. The seventh thing is to respond with kindness and love. Paul wrote in verse 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always tries to be kind to each other. Revenge, that's a human instinct, isn't it? Somebody throws an object at your face, your instinct is to raise your hands to protect yourself. If you lose your balance, your hands instinctively go out to protect yourself. But if somebody hurts you, your instinct is to hurt them back. If somebody insults you, your emotional instinct is to say, same to you, buddy, but more of it. But as followers of Jesus, we follow a, a different set of relationship rules. We don't repay evil with evil 
we repay evil with good. That was such a revolutionary concept when Jesus on the Mount of Olives told them, if someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. And if he takes your tunic, give him your cloak. If he compels you to go one mile, go the second mile, Matthew 5, 38. It's a non-retaliation. It's the golden rule in action. And that's the way we're supposed to treat one another. Even Peter got in on the action in 1 Peter 3, 9 when he said, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to you, to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. I am so grateful that we have a peaceful congregation. I don't ever want us to lose being a loving congregation, but you have to work at it, especially with as many people we've got coming. So I want you to do me, don't do me a favor, do it because the Lord asks us to. I want you to start looking for people and be one of those friendly people. Be one of those patient people. Be one of those that might encourage. Believe it or not, speaking to somebody is encouraging to them. And I can't get to everyone. I'm just one person. So I need your help doing that. I think he tells us how to act in church, <laughs> how to act as a congregation, how to act as a family. And I want to thank you for your faithfulness. I want to thank you for your love. Thank you for the patience. And I've got complete confidence in you because I know how you are. God's still working on us. He's still chipping it away. He's still working on us. And he'll work on us together. And hopefully all of us won't be upset at one time when we come in here. So far that has not happened. And I pray that day never happens because one of these days you're going to need somebody to encourage you. And then one of these days Times you need to be the encourager. So thank you for your faithfulness. Let's pray together. Thank you for being here this evening. Lord, we, we thank you for your word. It, it always reminds us of what we need to work on. And sometimes we can begin to take things for granted. And we ask that you help us to be people who appreciate those who work among us, that we'll encourage the faint-hearted, that we'll uphold the weak, that you, we would be loving and patient toward each other, to be kind. I pray that when people walk in here, they will at least know, hey, those people, they love Jesus and they love each other. May we always be that way. I thank you for your faithfulness to us. I thank you for your patience with us and the fact that you, you have been so long-suffering toward all of us. Help us to be that way with others. And Lord, help us to put on our spiritual radar and see people and talk to people and meet people and welcome people. Help them find their place. Help encourage them. Help us to be that person, Lord. We love you, Lord, and look forward to coming Sunday when we talk about having peace in the midst of this storm. 
We pray that people will come to know you as their Savior and Lord because we know that's the only way they'll have peace. And I pray, Father, for each of these folks tonight. Now, I don't know all the burdens they're carrying, but all of us have them. And I pray that you will encourage them and lift them up. Thank you again for this time together and for your word. And thank you for Jesus. The wonderful name of Jesus, as Angela sang about a moment ago. Thank you, God, for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Go and be nice. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to watch more live streams or additional Bible studies, please go to southcrestlive.tv. We hope to see you again next week.